0: Back please to Hebrews chapter nine, and if you'll leave your spot there and then make your way to Matthew chapter twenty-seven. Matthew chapter twenty-seven is uh, where we're going to find ourselves first. But just want to take a few moments and get our thoughts on this this uh, idea, what we're going to talk about today. It's really not a very the the idea of the sermon is not very big getting into it might have to might take a little bit of time but uh but really what we're what we want to what i want you to walk away with is this what's really in the title we've been talking about jesus changes everything jesus changes my story we saw that 2 weeks ago with the maniac of the gadarenes he totally changes everything about my past my present my future Then last week we looked at me again. He changes me a second time in the way that I relate to other people. He changes my relationships with other people. And we looked at what Jesus said several times, I think seven different relationships that he wants me to uh, to have with other people. And he says, I want to change your marriage. I want to change your your uh, your 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 temper. I want to change uh, your your um, relationships with all different types of people. And it all starts with me because I can't change other people, but I can change what I'm going to do. I can affect uh, how I treat my enemies. I can affect uh, those types of things that, that that deal with me. But then, as we begin to go further, we get to this story here of uh, in Matthew 27. This is uh, this is the the crucifixion of Christ. We backed up to Matthew 21. We would see the triumphant entry into Jerusalem we we call it palm sunday they didn't call it palm sunday then they just it was just the day you know It was the day that they did it and now we call it that and uh, there's there's a, a lot of beautiful uh pictures and 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 imagery of uh, Jesus going through uh this this last week getting his i mean imagine what you would do if you knew you had one week left Jesus knowing his entry into Jerusalem would mark uh his last his final days on earth final days among the people that he came to save um, and imagine being in that position and so as we are as with the choir singing and you know rise let's crowd the gates let's 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 rejoice Jesus is coming I wonder if there wasn't a tinge of of sadness as Jesus is riding on that donkey into Jerusalem realizing I'm coming and you're excited but it's all going to change very soon and I'm coming, and you're excited that I'm here as your deliverer, but this is going to end in death from for me it's it's going to be uh, a very different story as what you thought and so in the in the spirit of what we've been talking about, Jesus changes everything, I want to look at this this idea because really the the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and even the crucifixion, which we'll look at in a little bit more detail in just a few moments, is very different. Than what the people had expected it to be, we go back to Jerusalem and Jesus is being led into the streets with great fanfare and and great uh, noise and and they're just they're excited about uh, what's going to happen because they thought that he was uh, coming to save them from Roman oppression. They thought that he had come to finally free them from the sna- the slave. Uh, bondage and the chains of Roman cruelty. Many years before that, they had been slaves in Egypt, and that, and uh, Moses had been sent by God to deliver them. And physically, and and, and and with great gusto, even with the with the plagues and and the the, the Red Sea party and all these things, uh, God delivered His people through this man. And now Jesus comes on the scene. And uh, even the, the fact of Jesus being on the donkey was a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy that these people had been studying and waiting for. And here he comes, the Messiah, our deliverer, our Savior is here. And the shouts of Hosanna were, were "Save us, Savior! You're here! Hooray! It's finally come! The day is here! The day has arrived!" And, Je- and Jesus is going to be our hero. I wonder how different it must have. It would have it, it must have been how many of those same people who shouted Hosanna would in just a few short days shout Crucify Him. I don't know if it was all of them, but I do think that it's likely that some of them that had shouted for joy now shouted for his death. Just in once we get to Matthew twenty seven. The people misunderstood the man. They misunderstood who Jesus really was. They thought he was a prophet. We, uh, if you read the story, they come coming into town and, and uh, the, the, the great, great commotion is going on and he finally enters Jerusalem. And as soon as he hits Jerusalem, the, there's a bunch of other people going, who is this guy? What, what's, the big, what's the big noise? What, you know, what's going on? And, and they said, this is the prophet of, from Nazareth, of Galilee. This is Jesus. He's going to save us. He is going to be the deliverer. I mean, they're, they're those Romans, they don't even know what's coming and, and, and it is going to be a big deal. Even those people missed it because in just a few short days, we would see how very different his motives would be. And we see that again, that if you see it in your notes there, that not only did they misunderstand the man who Jesus really is or really was during that time, they misunderstood his mission, why he really came. Jesus has a tendency to change everything that we think is true. He took a man, a maniac, a wild man, a demon possessed man, and his reality was hopelessness, his reality was nakedness, his reality was cutting himself and, and self-pain and all of these things. And Jesus said, I'm gonna change that. Then Jesus came to us in Matthew five and said, Here's this here's the reality you live in right now. Lo, uh, hate your enemies, but love your neighbor. I'm gonna change that. I want you to love your enemies too. Here's the reality. Don't kill. Here's where I'm gonna change. Don't even Insult. Don't even hate. Don't even call your brother a fool. Don't even call a person. Don't don't lose your temper. That's a that thought of that. Don't commit adultery. Becomes. Don't even look on a woman and lust after in your heart. He he changes everything. He, He he flips it on its head. And just as we feel like we've got an understanding of what life is all about and what things are all about, Jesus comes and says, Nope, that's not how it's supposed to be. Today's no different. Because as he enters into Jerusalem. They thought he was coming to deliver them from physical bondage and oppression. And yet Jesus said it's as we would see through his life and through his actions and then finally through his words. He didn't come to save us. Jews, save the Jews from the Romans, because, in fact, things would get much worse for the Jews. Following the the years following uh, Jesus' existence on the earth. They misunderstood the man, they misunderstood the mission, even today, though we misunderstand sometime his his reasoning for being here. We even look at Palm Sunday, we look at what what the events that will happen this week as we recognize the the crucifixion and we think about how what Jesus went through and and all of the the pain and the suffering. And if you ask, you know, most people know about Jesus, they know about the cross, they, they know about all those things. And, we, you know, why did Jesus come? Well, Jesus died on the cross. That's why Jesus came. And that's true. That's, that is the, the correct answer. But it's not just that. It's not just Jesus coming to die. We, at Christmas time, we say Jesus came to earth because he was going to die. But didn't, Jesus didn't just come to die. He didn't just come to save us and make a way for us to go to heaven. If that's all you get, it's not the wrong answer. It's just an incomplete answer. Jesus, his purpose was not just to bring us to heaven or save us from hell. Jesus came to earth, to Jerusalem, to Calvary to change how we approach God. He came to change our worship. Worship is just the way that it's, it's, it's the it's the act of approaching God. It's the way that you approach God that says, God, you are worthy of honor. You're worthy of glory. As we sang the songs this morning, we were worshiping God with our song. The Bible teaches that as we give our tithes and our offerings, uh, we are worshiping God through our our offerings. It's, it's it's very it's it's kind of connected to in the Old Testament when they would have the burnt offerings and they would bring uh they would bring the calf or they'd bring the goat or they'd bring a dove if they were poor or they had birds and they would bring those things uh sometimes they would bring grain they would bring the first fruit sometimes they would bring water they would bring these different things and they would offer them to god for different reasons and that was how they worshiped god and this morning through our text and through the message i I want to show you how Jesus changes the way that we worship. He really, really changed the way that the Jews worshipped during this time, but for us even he changes the way the reason that we worship him. not since the Garden of Eden has man been intimately close with God. Go back to the time when adam before Adam sinned and and he would commune with God, I think, on a daily basis. We don't know how long Adam was in the garden before there was sin. But there was, there was this intimacy. There was this closeness that there, there was no sin. There was no separation. And then at the moment that Adam ate the fruit and Eve ate the fruit, there was a separation, and they hid themselves from God. The Bible teaches very, very plainly that sin separates us from God. Sin is the biggest problem that we all have in this world because sin separates us from God. Ultimately, the greatest separation is hell, where, there, where God is not. Uh, Isaiah tells us, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And so the reason that Jesus came was to bridge that gap that sin had made. God was here and man was here and sin came along and drove a very great wedge, a very great divide between God and man. And, and because man sinned, there was no way man could get across. There was no way man could get back to God. And so there was the plan set in place for Jesus to come and be a bridge that would bring man and God back together. He said in Luke, the son of man has come to seek and to save. I am here to find those people separated by God from sin and bring them back together. We find ourselves then in Matthew 27. Jesus is fulfilling this plan. Just about everything that we read about in Jesus' life through the New Testament was some sort of fulfillment of this plan. The reason that Jesus healed the blind and, and, and raised the dead was to fulfill prophecy that he was Messiah. The reason that Jesus uh, came on the donkey is a fulfillment of a prophecy in Zechariah. The reason that Jesus entered at the day he entered Jerusalem is a fulfillment of prophecy. And it all connects back to the way that these Jews would worship. And I want to really show you that tonight. It's so deep and complicated, I don't even pretend to understand it all. But I just want to dip our toe as a church into the into the waters of this, of, the, of this symbolism here and really get an idea of what happened that day at Calvary. But we find ourselves in Matthew 27, Jesus is on the cross. He's been on the cross for about three hours now. The Bible said in verse number, um, verse number uh, if you're there, you can look in verse number 45. That he'd been up on the cross and then darkness at the sixth hour, darkness covers the land. Because God at this moment would pour out his wrath on his own son and didn't want anybody to see it. He pulls the shades of, of the sun back and it's pitch black in the day. And here is three hours of what we won't understand completely until maybe we get to heaven and we realize it's not anything that we can imagine it is the undiluted wrath of God upon his son because Jesus drank that cup of sin the Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us the land has been covered in darkness for three hours and at the end of these three hours Jesus makes these words they, they, he, he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, or my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Even then, indicating to us how sin separated us from God. Because when Jesus became sin, God was God couldn't look on Jesus. And, he, and Jesus looked up and said, God, why have you forsaken me? Because He because he's become sin. He didn't just take sin upon him. He drank the cup of sin, became sin for you and for me. Jesus is on the cross. He utters his last words. But I find, and really what, what I want to get to, one little spot in the crucifixion story. We find it in verse number 51. But Jesus cries with a loud voice, and simultaneously, while Jesus is on the cross at Calvary, and he gives up the ghost, verse 51 says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. There was." Three things that happened all at the same time. Jesus died, there was a great big earthquake, and in the temple, the veil was torn. I think we have the picture up there. On the, I want to show you the, the, uh, the temple real quickly. There it is. So you can kind of see this would be kind of an, an exploded view of the Old Testament tabernacle. We call it the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Later on, it became a temple. It, the word tabernacle just means tent. And in, and we go all the way back. We read in Exodus and Leviticus. We can see there. There's this was this the, the 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 tabernacle. There was divided into two sections. There there was and there was a lot of furniture in it. There was a lot of different things about it. But there was two big places. One place was called the holy place, and that was the first part. And then there was a very thick curtain that would divide that room into a smaller room in the back there called the most holy place or the holy of holies. If we read through, and we won't have the time to read through all that tonight this morning, Exodus and Leviticus teach us that God himself was in that room. That is where God would meet with the people when he would come. We're going to be in Hebrews in just a moment. We're going to see those. We'll see uh, this this um, we'll take your Bible. Let's go there now. Hebrews chapter 9. I want to let me read some some verses to you and, and, and and explain to you the significance of this veil in the significance of the temple. But what I want you to get here is this the tearing of the temple veil completely changed the way that man would access God. Completely changed it for all of time. Let's go to Hebrews chapter nine. Now if you if you're not paying attention this morning, you read the book of Hebrews and uh, you quickly find yourself in a deep dark place and you have no idea where how you got there and where I do you're going. So you're, you gotta really pay attention, so put your put your thinking caps on. And uh, let's start in verse number one of Hebrews chapter um Hebrews chapter nine. Now, verse, verse, chapters eight, nine, and ten are all along the theme of Jesus is better than, and, and and it talks about different things that Jesus is better than. Hebrews chapter eight, nine, and ten talk about how Jesus is better than the Old Testament law. He is better than the Old Testament sacrifices, these these blood offerings that they would that they would bring uh, to God and and sacrifice on an altar. Jesus is better than those things. When we get to verse number 1 of chapter 9 it says then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service. That phrase there ordinances of divine service really just means regulations for worship. And what the next verses are going to teach us are a little bit a very brief overview of God's regulations for worship in this tabernacle right here. This is how the Jews had to operate. There's a lot of different uh, there's a lot of different pieces of furniture in there. You can see the table of showbread and you see the candlesticks in and, and the back, in the back, that little box in the back on the top left there. That's the Ark of the Covenant. And that would, inside that would have the, the, a bowl of manna back from uh, the wilderness. And it would have Aaron's rod that had budded. Remember uh, in, the, in the New Testament when they threw down the rod and all of those things. Uh, the Aaron's rod that budded and then had the tables of law. And on above that is where God would come and God would meet with the people. But that's what Hebrews chapter nine is going to talk about. We'll read just a little bit and 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 kind of get become familiar with it. Verse number two, it says, "For there was a tabernacle made, or a tent. Remember, that's what a tabernacle is. The first, wherein was the candlestick. Now it's talking about this first section of the tabernacle. So inside that was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. That's where a lot of times we get we call it. Some people call it the, the inside of the church, the room that we're in, when they call it the sanctuary. The word sanctuary just means holy place. That's what it means." Then it goes on in verse number three. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. So this is the inside inside. This would be the holiest of holies, or we would call it the most holy place. And this is where God would meet. Inside that, verse number four, had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold. Wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of covenant. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle or the first part of the tent, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. There's a lot there, but I really just basically explain it this way. The priests were allowed to go in only to the first part of the temple, and they would do this daily. and they would be And they would offer different sacrifices. In fact, if you could back up and see a whole view of the entire tabernacle, the whole we we'll call it the whole church ground. They didn't call it a church. There were there were restrictions as you went deeper in. Uh, Gentiles could only go so far. Women could only go so far. Then even priests could only go so far, and then only one person, the high priest, could only go so far, and even then he could go once a year. And so what we just read in a nutshell says that we were, we, the, the priests would go into the first part of the tabernacle and they would do daily ministerings, they would daily offer sacrifices, they would keep the, the coals hot and, and, and they would do different things in there. But then on the other side of the curtain, and, and, it's, and it's guessed that that curtain was several inches thick, no light would be allowed to pass through and nobody, was, nobody would see, nobody ever knew what was on the other side of that curtain except for the high priest. And one time a year, the high priest would go behind that curtain, and, and the Bible gives very specific regulations for worship or ordinances of the tabernacle. This is what you're going to do in the inside there. It was very, very demanding because even if they messed up, if they did it wrong, they'd die. If the high priest went in unclean, he would die. If he, if, uh, if anyone else went in unclean, remember um, when David uh, re- recovered the ark of the covenant? From the Philistines, and he put it on a cart, and uh, they weren't supposed to put it on a cart, but he did. And uh, they was going across, and the oxen stumbled, and the Bible says that the ark of the covenant kind of pitched. And so then there was a man, Uzzah. He just wanted to keep the ark from falling, and so he put his hand on it, and God killed him instantly, because it was very important. God had said, "I want done. I want things done a specific way." And when you break my laws, when you even when you do it for something that you think is okay, no, 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 it's not going to. You don't treat it like that. And so God had God was very, very particular, very specific on what he wanted done here. And so the, the temple was, was much like that. And so this morning, I just want to take a few minutes and look at how Jesus changes our worship. Three ways that Jesus changes our worship. And we'll see them all here from Hebrews chapter 9. Number one, Jesus makes my worship clear. Jesus makes my worship clear. If you look in verse number 8, we read down to this point, And at the he was talking about the tabernacle. And we look down in verse 8. Uh, The writer continues, it says the Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all or the way into this most holy place was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle, it was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. A lot of a lot of it's it's it's. It's confusing, okay? So if you're confused, I'm with you, okay? But you had to really, really dig into to find out. But really what he's saying here is that nobody knew exactly what all this meant. They would do all of these traditions. They would do all of these, these customs. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, uh, Judaism or, or Jew, Jewish religion was very uh, based in rituals and traditions and customs. And they just got good at doing them because they did them year after year after year. Uh, uh, Dan, Dan Woods, uh, his wife down here, uh, recommended a book to me and I've been reading through the different feasts of the Lord and it's very, very interesting about how uh, how their culture was just uh, based completely around the customs and the rituals and the traditions. We even see Jesus several times in the New Testament said, you guys are missing everything because you're putting your traditions above God's laws. Five times in Matthew chapter twenty. Uh, Chapter 23, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he calls them blind guides and blind fools five times in one chapter because these were the spiritual leaders of the day, and yet they didn't even understand exactly why they did all that they were doing. If they had, when Jesus had entered, they would have realized why he was there. He wasn't there with a sword to deliver them from Caesar. He was there with a body to offer as a sacrifice for their sins. And if they had been paying attention, if they had known, they would have readily accepted him and not yelled, crucify him. But they missed it. And 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 we're not here to cast blame on them because a lot of times I think we miss why Jesus came. We talk to the average person on the street, Jesus came, he did a lot of good things. Oh yeah, I believe he's a good man. I mean, it's documented in history that a man named Jesus existed. But not everybody believes that Jesus is who Jesus claimed to be. And Jesus said, I want to come and make this clear all of these these sacrifices that you've been doing, all of these blood offerings and all of these treks to Jerusalem, uh, you're doing it and you don't even know why. Jesus at the, uh, talking to the woman at the well, he said, you worship what you don't know. He says, you Samaritans, Gentiles, you worship a God you don't even know. Paul went to Mars Hill uh, in Acts and he talked to them on Mars Hill and he said, I noticed your devotions. I watched your worship and you have all these idols And you have one to the unknown God because you don't know this. Let me tell you about the unknown God. His name is Jesus Christ. As people, uh, we just we grow up, and God is so far away, and 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 these and these things that God asks us to do, and 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 it becomes a little bit fuzzy. It becomes a little bit murky, and like, okay, I don't see this. And so Jesus said, "I've come to make it all clear. I want to. I want you to understand why you've been sacrificing." a, a, a calf every year for sins. I want you to understand why you've been doing these things. I want you to understand each of the pieces in of furniture inside this tent had something to do with Jesus himself. And Jesus says about this, it was all about me. Jesus came to make the purpose of religion clear. The purpose of religion was not to make people look good. It was not to look good in front of each other. That's what the Pharisees thought it was because they would go and they'd love to stand in the synagogues front and center and pray aloud so that you could hear how verbose and how eloquent I would pray to the Father using my these and my thous and my thys and, 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 and trying to impress you. Even today, people do that, trying to impress other people. We do good. We do our religion to be seen of men. Sometimes, mistakenly, we even do our religion to be seen of God. I want to impress God. I want to earn God. I want to, I want to earn His merit and His favor. And Jesus said, you're missing it. I want you to understand what all of this is all about. It's all about me. Jesus said, it's all about me. Everything you read in the Old Testament, it was all pointing to me. Everything in the Jews' religion was leading up to this moment in time when I would stand on a cross uh, suspended between heaven and earth and die for the sins of every man and every woman. Jesus said, I want to make it clear. Number two, he said, I will make your worship complete. I think this is so interesting. We, uh, we, read, we read down and, and uh, we, we, were, we already read the verse, but uh, let's, well, no, we didn't read that verse. Let's go to verse number one of chapter 10. We skip a little bit because he's, he talked about so much good stuff there, but chapter 10 in verse number one says, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. You get what he's saying? He's saying the law what commanded them to offer these yearly sacrifices can never make the worshipers perfect. It can never quite do what it's supposed to do. It was only a band-aid, if you will. It was a band aid on my sins for one more year, but next year i got to do this all over again. And every year when the Jews would come and they would bring the sacrifice and they would wash, and the priest would have to put his, put his hands on the, on the calf and, and they, or they'd, have, or they'd, have, they'd have two, and, and there'd be one sometimes there'd be a goat, and there'd, there'd be two, and one would be a scapegoat, and they would lead it out into the wilderness, uh, and then there'd be another one they'd crucify or they they'd, they'd, uh, they'd not crucify they'd slit the neck and do all those things, and then they would take the blood and they'd have to sprinkle it on different things with certain fingers, and all these Jesus said. You're reminded every time this happened, every time you went through this whole ritual, it only is good for one more year. And then you got to do this all over again next year. And then you got to do it all over again the year after. Because it's only a temporary fix, it doesn't quite get it. But then we keep reading in verse number. Uh, Verse number 11, we'll skip down there. It says, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 14, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Verse 17, "Uh, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now remission. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Remission of these. He's just talking about the verse before the sins and iniquities that he won't remember. He said, "I won't remember them." Much caught quite the opposite of your old testament sacrifices. That it was just kind of a a prolonging. All right, I will I will spare judgment for another year, and then the next year I will push the judgment for another year. And as long as you keep doing these sacrifices, you'll be good. But Jesus said, "I came once." and I fixed it forever, and I will, and your sins and your iniquities, I will remember no more. And he says, now where there is remission of these, there's no more offering for sin. Jesus hasn't come back and had to die again, because he did it once for all. Once for all time, and once for all people. The one sacrifice, the spotless sacrifice, perfect, holy Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, died on the cross to pay for your sins and for mine, even though we didn't even exist yet. There's a, a great song that's sometimes sung in churches. It's entitled, When He Was on the Cross, I Was on His Mind." And you think about that, you weren't alive, and yet Jesus knew that you would be alive at this moment in time, and He said, I will come and pay for the sins of the people in this room right now. Your great-grandpa was not alive. Your great-great-great-great-great-grandpa was not even alive. And Jesus knew every single person that would ever exist and walk and suck air on this earth. And Jesus said, I'm dying for them, for their sins, and it's done. One of the great sayings of Jesus on the cross, it is finished. What did he mean? Salvation. It's done. It's complete. It's finished. You don't have to do anything anymore. Jesus said, I want to come and make this clear. I want you to understand it's all about me. But number two, I want to make it complete. I want you to understand, you don't have to fix it. You don't have to add anything to it. You don't have to earn it. It's already been done. I just want you to accept I just want you to believe it. I just want you to receive it. I don't want you to earn it. I don't want you to come back next year and offer another blood sacrifice. I don't want you to come back and bring things that earn your salvation. It's been finished. Jesus said, I did everything. What the law, what the Old Testament Old Testament sacrifices and burnt offerings could not do in one moment, at one time, in one day, in one act, Jesus did. What thousands of years of sacrifices could never do. When we get to the last. Jesus came to make my worship clear. He came to make my worship complete. And he came to make my worship close this is really where we've been trying to get to verse number 19 having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of jesus let me go back to that picture in your mind we won't put it up on the screen but just back to that picture in your mind of the temple if we had lived during that time none of us would know what was inside that temple none of us would know what would would be ever be allowed to go inside that temple you, to be a high priest, you had to be of a specific tribe. And then you were only one of everybody, the entire. if, if Let's say that we were all Jews. I, I, I might be the priest, but I wouldn't be the high priest. I would never know. And if any one of us had ever tried to enter into that holiest of holies, God would kill them. But Jesus said at the moment that he died, the temple veil was rent in twain. And it's very interesting from the top to the bottom. Historians say that that temple veil was probably three or four inches thick that's pretty that's pretty good' I don't, that's not three or four inches, but you know that that's a pretty good you imagine imagine these guys you've seen these guys that try to tear phone books in half? God tore the temple veil in half from the top to the bottom, opening up the way because we saw that even that was the imagery of jesus' blood he said that's it's my skin, it's my body, and when it was broken for you. I opened the way so that you could go in. The Bible says, seeing that when we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, he allows us now to enter into the Holy of Holies. Verse number 19, again, I'll, I stopped reading. It. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the, in, into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a an high priest over the house of God, notice let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, that which none of the sacrifices could do, Jesus' death has done. It has cleared our conscience. It It has purged us from our sins. We can come, we're clean. The priest, when he would go in, he had to take baths to clean. If he came in unclean, God would kill him. Jesus said, my sacrifice took care of that for you. You come in and now, and, and he says, here's the conclusion. Here's, the, here's what we do now with all this information. So what? Jesus came. So what? Jesus died on the cross. That allows me to come near to God. So here's the, here's the action. Let's draw near. Let's come to God. Moses, when he was getting the Ten Commandments upon the mountain, God told him, he said, Moses, you come. You tell the children of Israel they better not come up on this mountain. If they touch it, they will die. God said, I'm keeping them at an arm's length. Moses, you come up, and then you tell him what I wanted you to know. All throughout history, it was like that until Jesus came. The, the The veil was that separation that God says, "I'm keeping you at a distance. I'm not letting you come any closer because of your sin. It separated you, and there's only one thing that will allow you to cross that threshold to go behind the curtain and see my, uh, the, to have that a close, intimate relationship with me and my, and it's my son Jesus." Literally, he's saying it's me myself. I I God will clear the way for you at that time. And when Jesus was crucified and gave his life for us, that temple veil was torn into. The Bible says, now that we have a way cleared for us, let's draw near. I I hope we see that it's clear. And it's just through Jesus and that it's complete and it's done. and I don't have to do anything for it. And I just received that. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And I believe that he died on the cross and he paid the debt, not just for your sins, but for my sins and for the things that I've done and the things that I will do. He's paid for all those things are paid for the sins that you haven't even committed yet, have already been forgiven and bought by the blood of Christ. And now he says, because of all of that, Here's what I want you to do. Draw near. I want you to come close. I want you to enjoy a relationship that no other person through history until Christ knew anything about. I want to change the way you worship. I want to change the way you the reason that you worship. The Jews would worship God, and they would that we have these beautiful songs that they would sing to God in the book of Psalms. But think about they wrote those and sung those at a distance they would do these they would do these rituals and they would their devotion to god was so was so um was so deep and so strong and yet it was at a distance and jesus said now i've found a way i've made a way for you to come not at a distance you can come as close to god as you want to be i want you close i want you close not only to himself but to god himself Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Speaking of that veil again, verses 18 says, For through him we we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. He says, because of what Jesus did, you're not a stranger anymore. You're not one that has to stay outside. Part of my family. You can just come in. You've never accepted Christ as your Savior this morning. What better time to do it than on this day? Even the Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. We don't know when our last day is. We ought to Take care of it while we know Jesus said, it was me. You've heard all the stories to the Jews and to the Americans sitting in this room right now. It's all about me. It's already been done. I want you to draw close. If you've been saved this morning, you say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. How close are you to your Lord this morning? Have we lived however we wanted to out in the world and come back thinking that I just need to put my hour in of service and then everything's all good again? Or have we been walking with Him? And spending time with Him? And learning from Him? Jesus says, if you're weary, take My yoke upon you. He says in Hebrews, He tells us, come boldly unto the throne of grace and there you will find mercy and grace to help in time of need. I urge you today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you've never been saved, if you've never put your faith in Christ for salvation, make that day today. And if you've already done that and you have you say, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Christian, draw near. Be close. Get into his word and study it. Learn it. Come to the services and sing and lift up your voice, but not just on at 10 or 11 on Sunday morning, but at 5 o'clock on Saturday and three o'clock on Tuesday, and any time, and He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own. It's a beautiful song, and yet it only happens if we do it. Jesus is willing if we would be. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment of silent prayer. We won't have any music. We won't have any any. Invitation. I'm not asking you to come forward, raise your hand for anything, but I just, I wonder if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know Christ as Savior. This week we will look at the different events of the final week in Jesus' life as maybe in devotions you will do doing, or next week we'll have Easter and talk about the resurrection. The whole point of all of that was to bring you to God. Physically one day in heaven, but not just then, even now. Jesus died on the cross so that today you could be close to God. You don't have to wait. You physically see him face to face. He says, I want to be so close to you that when I leave, I will send my spirit to dwell inside you. I want to be near. I want to draw close to you. I want a relationship with you. I wonder if there's someone today that says, I've never, never done that. I hope today you'd make it that day. I hope that you would desire that type of a relationship with God enough to ask someone to talk to someone and read in the Bible, even talk to the Lord and say, God, I I want that with you. Show me what I need to do. And then I'd say most of us, I'd say we've already been saved. We've already been accepted Christ as our Savior. We're Christians. We believe in God. We we speak it. We walk it even. I wonder how much closer we need, we could be. Don't think about the other person in the room, the person sitting beside you, your wife, your kids. Don't think about how close they are. How close am I to my Lord this morning? Sin does separate us. After you're a, you become a Christian, sin doesn't make you lose your salvation. You don't have to come and get saved again. But it does kind of ham- hamper a fellowship there, doesn't it? Just like we with our own children when they disobey us. Kind of hinders that closeness that we feel because there's there's been wrong done and it hasn't been fixed. Maybe there's sin. If there's sin in your life, God, God wants to wants to fix that for you. If only we would draw near.